I just, um, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but I just want to encourage us as a church. I know we've, um, over the last little while, been able to touch base with a, quite a few people, and I know the challenges and the waves of difficulty and the, the things that go on around us where we have to find out and ask the Lord, which ones do we fight, which ones do we leave, which ones do we... Do we not get involved, get involved, um, the ones that kind of overwhelm you or hit you? or And I know there's just this, um, I don't know what's going on in the world, but there's just this, these, these challenges. And I want to encourage us this morning, and I believe that I was born for this. And I believe you were born for this. And we were born for such a time as this. Because the nations are going to come to our light. And uh, I believe that these are the times when the light of the church is going to so shine. And uh, I, I, I want to I wanna say it like this, and, and God give me the right words to say. I am so proud of the, of the Turkey team. I'm so proud that they're back. I'm so proud that God's done so amazing and mighty things in them. And I am so excited and looking forward to hearing all the testimonies um, of just what God did. I am so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that as a small community we can be putting our footprint in so many places and touching lives and I want to encourage you the mandate of God over every single one of us is always the same and that we are to go and preach the word um, and he didn't mean you have to go to a whole bunch of places he meant there isn't a place that doesn't need the word of God whether it's your Jerusalem it's your Judea Samaria or the ends of the earth we're called to be a people that will go that will preach the gospel that will be witnesses because we've been empowered by Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Not so that we can be great business people, even though He will do that for us, is to be empowered to be witnesses, witnesses of Him, and to be His disciples, ones who are disciplined, ones who are like Him, ones that will portray the life of Christ. Amen? But I also want to encourage you as a church never to play down what God is doing in your life right now, in your office, in your environment, in your family, in your street, and wherever you are right now, don't let, don't let the nations become an event. Right now we need the church to arise in maturity. And if you study Ephesians chapter 4, going to the nations doesn't do that. What does do that is a group of people that connect together, each joint forming together as it supplies, it matures and grows the church up into its fullness. Because I want to be 24-7 that carries something that looks like something that's drawing people to it. And then God is speaking and we're releasing and then we're going to the nations carrying something such that I have, I give to you. I don't want to go to the nations and preach to people where my life is absolutely actually not right and a mess. Amen. And we're wobbling here as a church and actually we're exporting not what God is doing. Because they deserve better. So I just want to encourage you. I really believe God is working in local church right now, establishing, strengthening us because we were born for now because we're going to go. And it's not an either or, it's both. As God lays in our hearts. Can I say this? It's listen to the Lord. The cry of my heart was desperate to say, God, I want to go to Turkey. And God says, you will stay. Because it's the voice of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that we listen to. It's not just because that's what we're mobilizing. I want to encourage you with that. And we will mobilize in this church for us to go to the nations. But don't let that become 
a hindrance or a heavy or deter away from how important it is to go to H&M and minister to a lady who's desperately in need of Jesus. When David was out there, friends, he went to Saul and, he, and Saul said to him, yeah, use this, this, and this. And he tried to put it on and he said, I can't use this because it's not being tested. I need to use the weapons that I have that have been tested. Friends, we don't use other people's weapons. Father, may the local church rise up and have their weapons tested so that they can go out there and fight the Goliaths of the Philistines. Because there are Goliaths out there. There's Goliaths in Turkey. But don't think you can go to Turkey to deal with Goliaths if you have not tested your weapons here. I believe that there are three different types of people or groups of people here this morning, include myself. There's some of us here that need to let go of some things. God doesn't want us to hold on to and then grab hold of that which He wants us to hold on to. There's some of us that have not been declaring we need to rise up and begin to declare. And there's others of us that need to hold fast to that which we are declaring. And I... Either all of those are all Jesus. It do, there's no hierarchy in God. It's wherever you are, God's just speaking. Amen. I was sharing this with the guys on, on Friday, Thursday. On Thursday, and it just comes in my heart just to share this with you right now because I, I felt over the last couple of weeks God brought this to my remembrance and, 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 and I felt it was a now word. Is if you go back to Genesis and you and you start reading from the beginning, um, which I always love to. I love reading from the beginning. And, um, and you see God, and he, and he said, and, and then God said, no, let's just start with, the earth was formless and void. There was nothing. And the Holy Spirit was hovering. And then God said, let there be. And there was, and he saw that it was good. And then he said, let there be. And then there was, and he saw that it was good. What came first, sound or sight? Because he spoke out of the realm of the Spirit. Sound. Sound comes first, then comes sight. We need to be people that are rising up and speaking. Let the sound, it will change your environment. As we speak, God was having so much fun with Jesus and Holy Spirit. He was God, and he had a dream. He had a dream of a bride for his son. And he knew that dream before he knew that his son would have to pay the ultimate price so that this could happen. And I just see God and Jesus and Holy Spirit just having this unified little chat, just putting things in place and ready and determined that they were going to fulfill the mandate. Because friends, he's coming back for a bride, a bride who he made ready. And he's just waiting for her to catch it. He really is. He defeated all her enemies and put 
her enemy is underneath her feet and he's waiting for her to catch it. And then he so wonderfully and graciously steps out of the spirit into the natural so that we can see him. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. See, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you can't see God. The only way we could see him, because we needed to see him so we can fall in love with him, is he had to step out of the unseen realm and step into the seen realm. And that's why now we see Jesus, who is our all in all. Amen? So I'm believing this is a couple of things that I try and share this morning. I'm trying to unpack over the last three weeks something of the understanding of what Jesus, his mandate and mission and desire was, and how we as the people of God have the same mandate mission. And um, it all culminates in a marriage. It all culminates in, in becoming this beautiful harmony of, of marriage between us and, and Jesus. And in the Bible, as always, is God is done something, doing something, and going to do something. We have been saved, being saved, and will be saved. We, we um, are being sanctified, we are being sanctified, and will be sanctified. Amen. So there's something of this that's already outworking in our lives, which I'll show you now. And then there's also a culmination of it that's going to happen at the end. Amen. So now for some of you, because um, you look um, a little bit perplexed, I'm going to say, Lord, I just thank you right now that I pray over our minds that we would step out of the natural and step into the spirit. Because 1 Corinthians 2.14 says we cannot comprehend the things of the spirit with the natural. So I'm about to share spirit, Lord. So I pray, Father, right now that our spirits would engage and our spirits would, there would be understanding that would come in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Maybe I should also just say this, that um, 1 Samuel, I think it's uh, 9, verse 19, was the first time God began to speak over his prophets and, and he called them seers. We were, all, we, were, we, were, we were all called to actually be hearers and seers. Um, but in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit came down and impacted um, men and they, as prophets and, and, and enabled them to see the realm of the Spirit and to hear what the word of the Lord was saying. But Jesus has come, and since Jesus, we're all called now. There's, a, there's an opening for every single one of us to see and to hear. We have to engage the Spirit realm so that we can see and hear. And my heart's desire over this next season is that the church will begin to uh, walk more in the spirit realm and begin to engage and see what the Lord is doing because that's what's going to empower us. So where do you want to turn in the Bible? Um, maybe just very quickly, just, uh, I'm just going to start with this. I don't even know what the time is. Oh, Jesus, have mercy. Um, just go to 1 Corinthians. Maybe I'll just start at 1 Corinthians just very quickly, I'm not going to dwell on this one because I, I want to just go somewhere fast. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, let's just read from verse 21, 3, 23, 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Isn't that beautiful? Um, Paul also actually encountered the Lord, had a moment in the realms of the Spirit um, where God um, delivered to him, just like the disciples as they sat around the um, table, the Passover, and shared the Passover with Jesus. So Paul encountered the Lord, um, and God gave him a revelation of communion and of the, the table of the Lord. And listen to what he says. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I want to stop there very quickly and just say this. Two quick important things. Body and new covenant. And we proclaim the Lord's death. So there's something that we proclaim when we take communion of the finished work of the cross, of the death of Jesus Christ that relates to body and relates to new covenant. Right? Just continuing on very quickly. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Now, like if we want to move in the religious spirit, we can dwell on that. Um, some of you are weak and the reality is, friends, simply put, is there is a revelation, an understanding on what Jesus Christ did on the cross that he wants us to discern and to grasp because if we partake of communion, which is in remembrance of him, which is we are remembering his body and we are remembering the new covenant, remembering what he did, friends, if we don't have that revelation, if we don't allow that to embrace us, we're eating of the communion but not living in the reality of what it purchased for us. And that's why some people are sick or some people are weak. Some people are, have even died because they have not embraced the true revelation of what Jesus Christ did. Because if we all embrace that, friends, then there would be no feeble or sick one amongst us. So that is the aim and that is, that is the goal, right? So just reading from that right now, I want us to, okay, just remember, okay, the body and remembering um, the new covenant of, of the Lord. So then if you can turn to it if you want to or don't, you don't have to, but Romans 3, uh, 23, we should all know it, for all have sinned and we have fallen short of the high prize of wealth and, and um, we have fallen short of the glory. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So glory was missing and the reason why glory was missing was because of sin. But God wants to restore us back to glory. Amen. And then, just because I like doing it, um, the glory is who God is, right? It's, it's who He is. But in Exodus 34, 6, when God reveals His glory, we know um, it's His goodness. But the, he, as His goodness uh, passes by, He begins to declare. And what does God begin to declare? He begins to declare, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. 
So when we talk about the glory of the Lord, we talk about God wanting to restore back that what fallen man and what sin robbed from us was restore back the glory of the Lord. We are talking about the goodness. We're talking about the grace of God. We're talking about the mercy of God. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins. We're talking about steadfast love. We're talking about faithfulness. We're talking about love that keeps going on and on and on to thousands of generations. Yes, it goes on to say you will not clear the guilty, but we are not guilty. So I don't even have to read that if I don't want to. I might read it because I might think, impress somebody with my education. But in terms of my life, it doesn't actually even apply to me. Because I'm not guilty, right? So I should be soaking myself in the reality of what God wants to bring and embrace my life in, right? So if you want to also go to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. I'll quickly go there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. I'm just going to read scriptures. I haven't actually started preaching. All that I'm sharing at the moment is just pure scripture. And you can go back afterwards and go find them. I'm not, I'm not literally quoting. I'm just, it's coming out in, in flow form. But um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist... It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. You can flick over to Romans chapter 9, verse 22. I love this. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I could sit there the whole time, but I'm going to just read it again, and then I'm going to move to some more scripture. But what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. It's almost as if we were vessels that deserved wrath and deserved God to pour out and show His power, and yet God beforehand is already preparing us as vessels of mercy to show forth His glory. Amen. If you don't say amen, it's going to take quite a long time, this, this preach, because uh, I go slower when there's no response. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, uh, oh, I'll just, it's all good. But anyway, let me just read. Um, this starting from verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled as veiled for those who are perishing, in their case the God of this world has blinded ours, the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as the servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. 
Does it get any more straight, church? Or do we have to go to Dorf classes to try and not understand this? For God who has said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Just uh, flick back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, um, I know I'm going fast because of time, but um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. I don't want the church to be saying, oh, we're encountering Jesus every single Sunday and they're not being transformed or being changed at all. Then you are not looking at my Jesus, you're looking at something else. Because according to the Word of God, and it's the truth, this is not me speaking, this is Grant speaking, the Word of God says, or whatever I said there. I must still be detoxing. just suddenly went, what the heck did I just say? <laughs> okay. Anyway, here's the word. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled face. They have a veiled face, but we have an unveiled face. If you're born again, the veil has been removed. Now we have an unveiled face and we are beholding the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus, right? Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of God's Glory. Glory. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The glory doesn't come from the natural. Glory comes from the Spirit. See, Moses went up the mountain. He didn't go to heaven. He went up the mountain. Heaven came to earth, which was the throne and the glory of the Lord came down. And there was a cloud. He still was standing on the ground, I promise you. But he encountered heaven. And when he encountered heaven, he encountered glory, which is the presence of God. And when he encountered the presence of his God, his, his face shone so, so much. And I, I believe in these days, um, the light, the, people are going to come because they're going to see light. And yes, we have these opportunities every now and then where we go, oh, wow, you know, they came because they said, I just see something in you. That's just kindergarten compared to what we are going to see in the days ahead of the presence and power of God. Because that glory that Moses had is fading. And there's even a greater glory. So if that glory was that powerful, can you imagine what is going to happen in the last days? I can see some of you, I'm going to have to really work hard to convince you. Um, so, oh. the mandate of Christ as he came into the earth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, then it brings forth sons and daughters, a multiplication of glory. Jesus' mandate on the earth was to be, bring, rise up sons and daughters. If you want that, um, John 12, 20. Pick a number, 24 or something like that. I don't know. Um, so then we go to, can you just quickly go to Hebrews 12 if you're in your Bibles and you're wanting to do a bit of a walk? Uh, Hebrews 12. This is, I wish I could share with you. This, there's so much in this beautiful Hebrews 12, but 
Therefore, since we are surrounded, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a cloud, a herd of elephant, a cloud of witnesses. Jesus, Acts chapter 1, was lifted up and then a cloud came and took him up. Brothers, why are you looking? The same way he went is the same way he's coming back. Okay, next. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which are which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's a race that's set before us. I mean, he's a race beset before every single one of us. We're all running a race. Jesus ran a race. And uh, this race, the Bible says, we must looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So there was a calling, there was a prize, Jesus uh, for the joy, the absolute joy and the privilege of what was set before him, he endured uh, the challenges or whatever uh, he had to walk in because he saw something and he was birthing something uh, through his death, through his resurrection, through his body. He was making something new that would change everything. That's why when we come to the table, it's about his body and it's about the new covenant, which is the blood of Jesus. And if we discern that rightly, with hopefully after today, you have no reason not to. Um, we, can, we can run uh, as the Lord's wanting us to. Just go to Philippians chapter 3. I'm, I am just honestly jumping from Scripture to Scripture without doing too much grant interpretation. Um, Philippians chapter 3, let's just go to verse uh, maybe 13. Brothers... You can start at 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Yeah, it's a good scripture. <laughs> Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call or heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is powerful. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is a heavenly calling that we are after. Jesus is, is, was after the same thing, and we're going to uh, hopefully get understanding um, this morning. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes, this is verse 17, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. He's telling us something here. And then he's saying, for many have walk, are walking as enemies of the cross. This has got to do with the cross. If we can get a revelation, understanding, letting everything else behind, but pressing on to the high call, the heavenly calling of God, it's got to do with the cross. Some have not imitated and gone after that, but they've gone after other things and become enemies of the cross. And it, there's some other wonderful things in there too. Um, or maybe I'll just read them here. Yeah. Okay. 
Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their, their glory is their shame. And let me just encourage you today, it's a powerful thing, but the reality is the glory that God wants to give us versus the glory of our shame. It's not, it's not even in the, in the ballpark. But, but why? Because, just read the end part there. Because their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now that is an end time statement, but it is also a now statement. Because Jesus declared, and you can go read it in Psalms, that He, when He died on the cross and He rose again, He made His enemies His footstool underneath His feet. So there's something of this that we've got to understand. I understand the glorified body, but I understand also the glory of the Lord is going to be manifest in our lives like never seen before. And you can wait until one day you get that glorified body or you can begin to declare and speak now and let the presence and power of God begin to fill you until you can see and people can look and go, there's something about that guy. There's something about his body. There's something that shines. There's something that's powerful there because there's a glorification that the Holy Spirit wants to uh, uh, Release and fill us in, in Jesus' name. So quickly now, all going in Psalm 8. I can see I'm not getting to part 2. But in Psalm 8, I don't ever get to part 2. Why do I even bother? But anyway, let's just, let's just, uh, okay. Uh, Psalm 8, let me just read Psalm 8. It's so beautiful. I love Psalm 8. We can read the whole thing, but I will concentrate where I wanted to go. But just the beginning is, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The earth. <gasps> that's not breathing from your diaphragm. That's breathing from your... Anyway, it's not a singing lesson. You have set your glory above the heavens. Oh, uh, oh Lord, help me to focus. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, listen to verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Yours might say care for him. Go and look at the Greek word there. I like studying Greek words means visit. Well, it's not Greek. It's actually Hebrew because it's in the Old Testament. It's porkad, which means visit him by analogy to care for. So what is man mindful of him, that the Son of Man would visit him? Then he tells us, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Woo! Man, how majestic is our Lord. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We have been crowned with glory, and the pointers, family, is that we have the pointers because out of the mouth of babes, we will still the avenger. We will still the enemy. You may be going through things now going like, Lord, but it, I feel like 
if you're holding on to striving, if you're holding on to trying to work for or achieve, if you're trying and trying and trying, stop it. Because Jesus died so that you don't have to try anymore. Our efforts, human effort without God has got a stench. Because he paid a price and he knows you and I from the very beginning. You don't deceive him that you can't do it. Or he knows you limp or you've got this problem or that problem. He knows it. He took care of every single thing. And I hope I'm going to come to fulfillment here. Um, this Psalm 8, it's a powerful psalm. It's quoted in um, Matthew 21. It's also in Luke 19. But it actually, that's got to do with Jesus going into Jerusalem to going, going to the cross. So it's in the context of the cross. Um, and uh, in, in, in Luke 19, it's Jesus. He's weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you did know, not know the time of your visitation. And the temple will now be destroyed. So you have to have been listening to the last two weeks. I'm not going to go back into it. But I want us to understand something, that when Jesus came, He understand fully our lives and where we were going and what, what we were doing and how we were going to achieve that. And I promise you, if you don't walk in this, you will forever and eternally revolve around the same cycle, which will come back to just condemnation and guilt and conviction and shame and and, and, and have to start again. And that same thing that trips you up is coming back again. And I thought you were gone, but now you're back again. And I, oh boy, I better go back for the deliverance again. I better go back for counsel. I better go phone a friend. I better go and do the whole cycle again and again and again. When Jesus said, I've actually done the complete work. If you can get a revelation, understanding of the, the process of the cross and why He came and the prize and the calling that He desired. When He came and He died for every single one of us, He laid down His body. He said, destroy this temple. Not you can destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise up a new one in three days. Because I'm raising up a new temple. There's a new thing about to happen. It's a new covenant. It's a new way and it's coming through my body. The old house is gone. The old temple has gone. The design of that temple, friends, Moses had to go up into heaven and he had to get that design from God. How, where did he get it from heaven? Jesus came, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 6, and, and he shows us that there was a more perfect temple. It's a temple in heaven. And he went into the temple of, in heaven and he sprinkled the blood and he took uh, everything that was needed so that he could make a way open so the the, the the veil could be rent. The veil is His flesh so that for eternity now we our sins have been completely forgiven, blotted out. When I stand before Him, He can't even remember my sins. There's not even a record of my sins. I stand before Him and now to enter into that dwelling place which is Psalm 91. Now read Psalm 91 with that understanding. Those if you've made me your dwelling place, no harm will befall you. No harm will come nigh your dwelling place. A thousand may fall at your right. Ten thousand at your left. But there nothing will come near you. That's for people that have chosen to make God their dwelling place because Jesus has made a way. In, in, in Hebrews 6 verse 19, it says that He was a forerunner, that He made a way so that we can have this hope, friends. 
this hope that now we can enter in and we can dwell in the secret place, the secret place being the most high place, the place where God dwells. I can be in His presence. I can be empowered. I can be changed into the glory of the Lord every single day of my life because Jesus has made a way and He is the high priest of that temple. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 and I'll stop shouting. Karabasanda. Interpretation, stop shouting. <laughs> okay. This is so, it's so powerful. We can catch this. I'm still trying to catch up, let alone catch it. Because um, I believe he's going to release something over the church in the days that are ahead. And I want to put my hand up to that. Because he knows me. And he knows I'm not very nice. And I have ugly moments. And I mess up. But he knew that from the beginning of time and he paid the price. And he says, guess what? You're a good guy to lead a church. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of other people just like you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3. Listen to this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus, the high priest. Man, we've studied, if you've studied the word of God and gone through the whole temple thing and, and, and looked to how important the high priest was and the high priest could only go in once. Now Jesus has become our high priest so we can go in all the time. He's also our apostle, which is a, I won't go down that road, but he, it's our high priest. There's something he's in, consider Jesus. He's your high priest. He says, when you sin, you've got... An advocate before the Father. This Jesus is sitting there going, yeah, sorry, what? Uh, I see they've messed up there. And God's going, what? Whatever Jesus goes, got it. Paid for. Oh, cool. Now, that's actually not quite biblical, but I, I, I'm, I'm using it as an illustration. Because the re reality is there are not records. He removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. See, whether you believe that or not, one day you'll find out I'm right. See, we go to God and we try and remind Him of some things that He has forgotten about. Because He said He removed them. Oh God, I'm so sorry I did that again. What? What? Anyway. Those who grab it, it's spiritual. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much, as, more glory, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more than the honor that the house itself, than, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Oh, I've had the time. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. <laughs> Not as a servant. He is faithful as a son. And then it just shatters anybody's understanding. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What hope? What I've just shouted and spat for the last half an hour. 
That's the hope, the confidence and the hope that we've got to grab hold of inside of us. That Jesus' whole desire and His passion and His calling was to uh, die on our behalf and to bring about sons and daughters that would be crowned with glory, just like Him. And that the temple would be, the old would be destroyed, finished. And that the new would, new house would be birthed. The new house, which is us, the temple of God. And the presence of God would now dwell inside of us. And He could now sit at the right hand of God as the high priest of that temple. And then we now, as the people of God, can come boldly, as I need to listen to the other weeks, can come boldly into the secret place every moment of every day, 24-7. We can come boldly in there. And if anybody was to want to stop you, we've got the high priest who sprinkled the blood in the heavenly place on our behalf. So 1 John 3.20 says, if your hearts, that word there can be also translated conscience. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And then just to make sure you understand it, he says, and God knows everything. Can this, can I spit this any, any clearer, friends? If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And He knows everything. You're not surprising Him. I kept this little thing over here. Uh, he, I know. It's one of those ones where my son was on the cross dying. And He said, it is finished. That was in the bag. It goes on to say, if your heart does not condemn you, then whatsoever you ask, whatsoever you ask, you will receive. So your heart, which is your conscience, God wants to bring that to a place where it does not condemn you. We need to live with a clear conscience. And that's what I wanted to preach on, the clear conscience in 10 minutes. Who's, no, well, I'm preaching, so it doesn't matter. 10 minutes, I'm gonna preach for 10 minutes. 10 minutes on a clear conscience. Let me try. Let's see. Okay, let's move. Uh, Acts 24. Acts 24. Let's just go quickly there. Acts 24. If you know your Bible, this is where there's a big discourse with Felix, um, where Paul is being accused of a whole bunch of stuff, and um, he's been um, put into uh, prison or into his, there's the guards that are around him, and the, now Ananias and all the big shots have to come down. And there's this lovely guy, Tertullus, who's a tortoise, who, um, who's actually just a lawyer. And he's come and he, he um, uh, yeah, when you read it, you just, you will, you just, you just start riling. Um, you get riled up because he presents the case. And he says, since though we, you, through you, we enjoy such peace. And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. Now, Felix was an absolute palooka. And here's a guy who's now flattering him and saying, oh, we know you are so amazing. And so we know that you're going to judge rightly. It's just, it's just total evil. But anyway, and then um, Paul begins to speak, and I'd love to, to go through the whole discourse. Um, um, but it's beautiful. It's, uh, he starts to share, and he says, listen, like, you know, 12 days ago I was up 
in, in Jerusalem at the feast. And I did not, no one, I didn't cause any trouble. No one got upset. Nobody threw, you know, rocks at me or anything like that. I was quite quiet. So what are you saying? I'm stirring up the crowd and, and, and all of that. It's just, it's, it's nonsense. But anyway, he then says a whole bunch of stuff. But for the sake of time, I'll jump straight down to verse 16. So Acts 24, verse 16. So Paul says, I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. I always take great pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. Now, here's a guy who's a murderer. Here's a guy who's done a whole lot of really bad stuff. And, and God said to him, hey, you're the guy to actually preach to the Gentiles. Come on, take your CV, put it against his CV. You fail every single time. So stop with the arrogance of like that I am, you know, I, you don't know what I've done, Grant. Just Paul's worse. And God speaks to him and he says, I, I, I take great pains to make sure I have a clear conscience. I suppose that was probably, is that, was that too hard? Is everyone fine? I'm not picking on anyone. Um, so very quickly, so obviously um, um, what, what, can, what can disturb our conscience, right? Um, I'm going to go down one trail only this morning because of time's sake. So let's just go quickly to Philippians chapter 4. I'll just go there. Philippians chapter 4. Can I do this? Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to jump a bit. Oh, okay. Philippians chapter 4. Let's just read, say, from verse 6. This is not a request. This is actually a command. Do not be anxious about anything. Joburg. People in 24-7 church. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, jumping to James 4, or you can just follow me as I'm, um, I can go. I'll jump to James, James chapter 4. We'll just go to verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell inside of us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God has given you himself inside you. He now yearns jealously. What is it that he yearns jealously for? But he gives grace by the Holy Spirit. So why is he giving grace? What is he yearning jealously for? And now he brings in pride and grace. And that there is a humility that's needed. So for the sake of time, let me just, I'll jump to it. So God wants my all and he wants me to trust him. I need to humble myself and submit to him, resist the devil because the devil is wanting my attention. The devil is wanting me to distract me and to put my, my focus on him, right? And so God's saying, no, hold on a minute. I yearn jealously. If you put your focus on him, then I'm not Lord of all. So, and then what I love, what he's saying here, and I'll give you more grace. Saying, so do not be anxious. 
But with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And he says, my spirit in me yearns jealously for you. And I don't be arrogant, just yield, because I want all. As you surrender all to me, there will be grace for whatever you're walking through. Just catch it because I am, I apologize, I'm moving fast. So, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Who? I know, sorry, it just came out. Um, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sounds like a similar scripture. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Cast all your cares and anxieties on God. Take them to God. The spirit in you is jealous. You've got to humble yourself. The way to humble yourself is the way to resist the devil. You do this by giving God your all and trusting Him. The minute you allow anxiety in your life, you show that you don't trust God. By doing this, we allow something else to control our lives, and God is a jealous God. Casting my cares on God keeps my conscience clear and unshaken. So Paul is saying, I'm pay, I take pains to make sure that I have a clear conscience, which means he takes pains to make sure that he casts all his cares onto God. He will not allow any anxiety to be Lord over his life or to speak into his life or to take any control over the way he thinks and the way he feels. Amen. So, what offends God is anxieties and cares we don't give Him. It's called pride. God wants to take care of you and all your needs, worries, concerns, and everything else. And this is how you resist the devil, and he will flee. You see, if we yield to these things, then we give Him a place, and we give Him a foothold, and He's going around like a roaring lion, seeking where He can find a place and who He can eat. But you see, there is no place if you stay with a clear conscience. See, now, as, as we go on and as we unpack, you will see that this clear conscience is absolutely vital, and when you enter into the throne room of God, and you begin to minister and speak the, to the Lord, and allow Him to do what He needs to do, you have to come in with a clear conscience. So you can't have like, well, you know, I'm wobbling because I did something wrong or this. You have to, it has to be clear. You have to know that He loves you, and that He's forgiven you of everything, and that, that you can come in boldly and begin to speak to Him, and, and, and you've given Him all your anxieties, all your fears, I don't have any wobbles. And if there is anything, then you, begin, you need to speak it before. Let me, let me say this quickly. This is a small detour off the trail going down to have a milkshake on the long road of where we're going. This little milkshake is simply this. If you don't na name it, it has no authority. See, Jesus, the Bible says in, in Ephesians 3 that God named every single family on this earth. There had to be a name because when he puts, he doesn't put thingamabob in the book of life. He puts your name in the book of life. And everything has to have a name so that every name must bow to the name of Jesus. If it doesn't have a name, friends, so what happens is somebody comes along in your life and begins to speak something over your life. It doesn't have a name yet. Don't give it a name. It has no authority. 
Somebody comes along and, <laughs> and you go, you've got COVID. It's now got authority. It's a name. Yes, I'll, I need to, I'll go get tested. I know that sounds harsh. It's the Bible. If you, if you don't name it. So what happens is, you see, nobody else can put it on you. Only you can accept it. So I don't, it doesn't matter what. People can come up to me and tell me, you know, you're a palooka. It's, given, it's named it, palooka. I, I can stand there, and it doesn't matter what they've said, because you see, anything that they say, anything, any curse that anybody says over my life returns back to them if I don't receive it. Because I've been redeemed from the curse. So it doesn't matter what anybody says. I don't really, to be honest, church, I don't really care a tortoise about what is said over my life. I do care many tortoises about um, what I do with those words that are spoken. See, because that's, that's now me. I do care about them that they would speak those words. My heart cries out and goes, they don't know who they are. That they would want to declare that over a child of God. They want to declare that over the family of God, uh, over, over people that, that God loves. Side issue. But the reality is, while it doesn't have a name, so see now, I'm not going to let it be named. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to speak what? The Word of God. I begin to speak the Word of God, the opposite of what they're saying. So the doctor comes and he shares, whose report are you going to believe? I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. So I'm going to go to the Word of God and I'm going to begin to declare, this baby is healthy, this baby is vibrant, this baby is alive, this baby is, is full of the destiny and the purpose and the plans of God. This lady is destined, this baby lady, this lady is also destined to walk in the things of God. I begin to speak the Word of God, declare it over their lives and now you start to see that things begin to come into line because the Bible tells me, Romans 4, 17, I must Call those things that are not as though they were. And that the, 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 the things that are not will confound the things that are. Oh, anyway, I've got to land. Can I land? I can't even land. I can't land. So, so why? why? Why is it important to have a clear conscience? Quickly go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I will keep you for another couple of minutes. 1 Timothy. Let's just go there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This was on our wall for many, many years as a church. This is the mandate. This is the mission. This is the call of God over 24-7. It is love lived out, and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. That's the aim. The aim is love. And you cannot love. God is love, and it's God inside of you that will love, and you don't let Him love and stop getting involved and getting in the way. The aim of our charge is love. And love from where? Love that issues from a pure heart. Ooh, scripture jumps to mind. Titus chapter 1, I'm going to go there. You, you, you stay. This is right here. Titus chapter 1. Uh, move pages. Titus chapter 1. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. See, to the pure, all things are pure, and their minds and their consciences are clear. But to those that don't believe they're pure, they are the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their consciences are defiled. Crazy, eh? So you need, we need to understand, if you don't believe you're pure, the Bible says you will outwork that. And the way you will outwork that is both your mind and your conscience will be defiled. And you will not be able to come before the Lord with the boldness that He wanted you to come. You'll be limping and He's, he's saying, but I paid all the price. You don't have to limp. You can come boldly. 
You come with freedom. You come with power. You come with authority. Um, moving quickly on to, I'm going to, oh, let's see where else I can read quick, just because I can. Um, Uh, just so from uh, Timothy chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to this. Holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. By rejecting this, holding faith and a good conscience. Friends, what God is trying to tell us, we, we need to grab hold of the whole faith and hold a good conscience. Some actually have, you shipwreck your faith from an a, 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 a unclear conscience. And that's what's happening. A lot of people, they, they're not understanding this, not believing this, not walking in the full authority, the boldness that they're coming in. And so they believe that, oh, there's something wrong with me, or this is happening, or this and that in my life. And they make shipwreck of their faith because now I need counseling, or I need to go for deliverance, or I need to go and get someone needs to pray over me or break this over me and this, that, and the other when he's taken care of everything. And you need to walk in the fullness of what he's taken care of. Take, hold fast. Uh, just freaking pages two, uh, chapter three, verse nine. One Timothy chapter three, verse nine. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Man, we could be here all day. I could carry on giving you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Um, I, I want us to understand something very important, and we've landed. Well, I'm still circling, but we're going to land. Um, the most important thing that God is wanting to share with us is that Jesus actually had a mandate and a prize. And the mandate and the prize that he was after, it was the joy that was set before him, is that his life is the radiance of the glory of God. And he came in the glory of God, and he was operating in the realm of the Spirit because he could see and he could hear. I don't do anything other than what I see my Father doing. I don't... Uh, 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 speak anything that I don't, don't hear my father saying, right? So he was trying to model something for us, the glory, the glory not as one who's shining like a light bulb, the glory that's re revealed out of his life. It's also a life, friends, that he didn't run after delivering people. He didn't run after healing people. He didn't run after raising the dead. He lived a life, a simple life. A life where he was empowered with the glory of the Lord and everywhere he came in contact with, if there was a demon-possessed person, then he, they were delivered. Uh, the sick came to him and he healed them. People, he went into people's houses and began to minister and share and bring deliverance. He revealed the glory of the Lord, which God wanted to cover the whole earth. Not just Jesus and a whole bunch of people just grabbing hold of the ticket so we can get out of here when our inheritance is actually down here on the earth. Let your glory, let your glory come on this earth and fill the earth. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The righteous, the Bible says, will inherit the earth. The upright will be cut off and removed. Who is being raptured and who's staying? Please. For goodness sake, at best, just please believe the Word of God. If the rapture, we're just going to go up and come down again. It's going to be a short little flight. We'll just circle around a little bit and come down again. Amen. God wants 
something here, friends, for us to catch. He wants to catch that I've changed something, friends. Uh, this temple has been destroyed. There is now a new house. It's you. There's a new covenant, new blessing. I'm raising up sons and daughters that are going to be filled with the glory of the Lord, that are going to go forth and minister and cover the earth with that which was inside of me is now inside of them. So as I, the Father sent me, I'm sending you the same way, which means everything that Jesus did, everything He operated in, I can do exactly the same if I carry on breathing. And He says that... When we walk in that fullness, friends, we will actually see the miraculous, the supernatural that's beyond the normal. Because you look at Jesus' life, we push all those things away. He walked on water. You go, can I walk on water? Well, if you move in this, you can do anything and everything that Jesus did. Because he said, you will do the same and even more than what I did. I want the even more. Not just the same, and that's going to go, go some to be the same. John said, I can't even write down all the things that he said and did in, in books. Books, the whole world would be filled with books. That's the life of Jesus. That's the supernatural life. Now, the way to do all of this is simply this. You have to step into and begin to walk in the Spirit. You cannot walk in the Spirit unless you have a clear conscience. Because you'll not be able to enter in that secret place. You'll not be able to enter into Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is not talking about heaven, friends. It can't be. It's talking about enemies and foes and this and that and the other. It's got to be talking about now. Is that dwelling in that secret place in God. You can't if you don't have a clear conscience. The only way you can have a clear conscience, friends, is to understand the Word of God and to apply what I've said today. You will always have something in your life that the enemy will pick on. The enemy will say, sorry, you fail, and you will go round and round and round in circles for the rest of your life and never, ever get to the destiny that God has for you. But when you come and you've got that clear conscience, that place where you're secure, you can begin to operate in the spirit realm. As you begin to operate in the spirit realm, you begin to make alive and connect with your spirit, just as the seers of old. So now the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ begins to connect and, and joins with your spirit. Now, because Holy Spirit is joined with your spirit, your conscience now begins to see and begins to hear. And as your conscience begins to see and hear, it begins to communicate with your mind, which is in your soul. And the, what we've done is, the Bible says, uh, you know, think on those things that are pure and honorable of good report. We, I would have told you that scripture and helped you a little bit there. But now we begin to renew the mind, Romans 12, 1, 2, 3. And we begin to let the mind now begin to develop and establish the paths of the Spirit. Not the ones that always go down, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did you do right or did you do bad? Did you deserve it or don't you deserve it? It's now new paths, new paths in the Spirit that Jesus Christ, everything that He paid for, I can now walk in. So now my spirit man begins to communicate with my mind. And as it begins to communicate with my mind, we begin to join together with authority and power that begins to dictate to my brain. And my brain tells my body what's going to happen. And now my body begins to operate exactly the way God designed it to. And now I get filled with the glory of the Lord. And so now to keep a clear conscience, now there's prayer, there's the Word, there's worship. All those things help me because they bring me into the presence of the Lord and they lift up His name and make Him higher than everything else. And then He can speak to me because my conscience is being released. Otherwise, all my conscience is going to do is stay dormant. It's going to be subconscious. It's going to pop out every now and then at night. And that's what's happening for a lot of the church. Oh, I can't I don't get rid of that because you have these bad dreams. What is it actually saying? Um, I, I, it's hard to remember, but I just don't sleep. Well, why don't you actually just clear the conscience and let it speak? Because when it speaks, it's divine. Instead of it's just trying to, it's waking you up to tell you, hey, I need some things done here. But we don't let him speak. And then the church says, oh, no, I'm listening to the Spirit of God, but it's just pure mind. 
So thoughts, and, and so what's happening is the Holy Spirit is beginning to try and move, and is beginning to share and speak certain things, but it's being interpreted through the natural mind. So it's not the things that we're seeing or hearing, it's how we're interpreting it that's become a problem. And we will always interpret that if we do not have a clear conscience. So you have to allow the Holy Spirit to do it so we can stand finally. You can go, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs>